Take your Bibles, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2. Been looking at this issue the church at Colossae was dealing with in the sense of their believers. We're going to see that in the text today. They're believers. Remember, Paul's not been there. He's Paphras probably led the Lord in, in Ephesus. Paphras goes back to his hometown, starts the church, runs into problems, and he travels the 1,200 miles to Rome to see Paul to talk about this is what's going on. How do I address this? Paul says, let me write you a letter. I'll write a letter back to the church. You can imagine in that culture, church at Colossae, even more than the church at, say, Jerusalem, was made up by a mixture of Greek-Roman mindset to Jewish mindset. Jews that were there, raised in the traditions of Judaism, with all the covenants and the promises and the meals, and Rome and the Greek gods, and was Christ just one among many? Just like Paul, when he goes to Mars Hill, I've come to proclaim that one right there to the unknown God and come to tell you what his name is. Well, obviously, in this text, we're going to find that these were believers, but what was happening is this was starting to creep back in the church. Is it, is it Christ and Christ alone? Or is it Christ plus something? Is he a, is he a God among many gods that, that we need to, to adjust in our philosophy that he talks about? And... and um, Vain deceit, traditions of men, we find out later even in visions and, and, and worship of angels that's going on. Do we, do we add that or is, is Christ enough? And then, of course, those that were raised in Judaism were coming to say, well, wait a minute now, we, we've got Christ, but we need to go back and we need to grab out of the Old Testament, we need to grab this thing of issues of circumcision and, and, and the days that we worship and the foods that we can't eat because it's, it's, it's not Christ is not sufficient on the front end, it's Christ is not sufficient on the back end, we've got to add something else to it. And like in the church at Colossae, we have here the same... In any church, and not just Providence, I'm just saying any church, you, you have basically three types of people in the congregation. One, you have people that are secure in their salvation. They understand the completeness they have in Christ. It doesn't mean they're perfect. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about how they're walking, but they understand it's Christ plus nothing else. Amen. It's Christ and Christ alone. And they're secure in that. You ever questioned your salvation? I, actually, I actually hope you have. And sometimes a embedded, continual sin that we continue trying to put off makes us wonder, do I really know the Lord at all? But still, in the basis of we're, we're secure in that. Not saying we don't waffle a little bit, but we're but theologically we're not trying to add anything. Secondly, we have people that are not secure. That it is Christ plus something. Maybe theologically they'd sign off, theologically that it is Christ alone, but in their practical living, it's, I've got to impress God. God's, God is not going to love me unless I... They turn to legalism. God will love me more, ladies, if you don't wear pants. 
Love you, love you more if your hair's off your ears. Love you more if you don't have tattoos or chains or earrings. See? He'll love you more if you don't go to movies. And we become very legalistic. If you have those standards, that's fine. But I hope you understand that doesn't make you any nearer the Lord. You're in Him, you're in Him. There is no in and halfway out. You're, you're in Him and He is enough. But there are some that still struggle with that. God is, and I, our own Jonathan's even give testimony. The Lord set him free. By grace and by grace alone. Yes. Those that seek God's approvals by some kind of work that they do. Or in that, that there's a draw inside life of a believer that's I need some more knowledge. It is Christ and Christ alone sufficient to save, but I need more than this. I need I need visions. I need I need I need God to speak to me. Well, He has spoken, right? Like whole series of books, Jesus calling. Well, He already called, and He wrote a book. But it's the I need more. They would say. I need that vision. I need that. Sometimes we want to say we want we need that outside assurance. I mean, in reality, what more do you want the Lord to do? I mean, He sent His Son to die for you on the cross. What what more do you want Him to do? But sometimes there's that there's that rub. We want more. We want some kind of special revelation. Christ is enough to save, but is there is there more to this? Do I need to speak in tongues? Okay. So you got people that are secure. You got people that are not secure, although maybe believers are believers. I would say in, my, in the, what I'm talking about. And then you got lost people. And there's two types of lost people. One, you know you're lost. You tell people you're lost. You know it. And there's others that God hasn't revealed that to them yet. You press them might say, well, yeah, I guess I am, but it's not, it's not the banner in which they live under that I'm a lost person. Well, Paul is battling this in Colossae. He's written this letter, Paphras take back, and I want us to pick up our reading, chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. I'm talking about these are believers. Not, he's not writing to Colossae the city. He's writing to this church of believers. So walk in Him, rooted and, and build up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. And that results in abounding in thanksgiving. That's, that's the believer. See to it that no one takes you captive. They don't kidnap you. 
They don't lead you astray by philosophy or empty deceit according to human traditions, according to elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the fullness, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him. You're complete in Him who is the head of all authority and rule. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in this powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you, who were, as we know as believers, were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Keep reading in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. Asceticism, cutting yourself, uh, making marks on your flesh, making yourself bleed as if that impresses the Lord. Or the worship of angels. Or going into detail about visions, puffed up without reason by your own sensuous mind. And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knitted together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, why, as if you shall still alive in this world, do you submit in regulation? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that are all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These are indeed an appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are not they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. Father, we pray that you would, again, give us understanding. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we noted, Paul's admonishment to them in verse 6 and verse 7, and then Paul's warning to them that, that this issue of multiple gods, did, did, is Christ among many? Do we just add Christ do we go back to our philosophies? Do we go back to this empty deceit? Do we go back to this human traditions? Now, taking the word, human tradition is not all bad in its tense because it's used in, in a good way of, of the traditions of the apostles. That we follow the uh, traditions of the apostles. Here, it's dealing with the, the cult's claim to mysticism. Mystical religions. Antiquities. I hope I don't make anybody mad. Most, um, what am I trying to say? Masonic lodges. All that's mysticism. That's all mysticism. This, this secret knowledge that they claim to have. The books that are written, the Bible code. It's, it's not what the Bible may or may not say in code that bothers me. It's what it says in black and white that, yes. that gives me grief, all right? 
Okay. Accomplish that first. There is no code, by the way. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If you only know what the code is, that's it. But this is creeping in. It's even in, even in Baptist churches, even in this county. That we must add somehow to the... And then we go off to these, uh, these secret meetings and we get secret knowledge and we can't tell anybody to the, to the point of death that we can't reveal these secrets. What? These elementary spirits... These types of teachings. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> Look at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly. It's foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment and the discerning I will thwart. Here is the one who is wise. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those that believe. Yeah. The folliness of that. Galatians chapter 4, Paul also telling the church at Galatia to be careful. Galatians 4, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to these elementary principles of the world. When the fullness of time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born of law, to redeem those that were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. It's also in these elementary spirits can, can deal with astrology. In fact, Paul writes of that in Romans chapter 1, does he not? Romans chapter 1, when he's given about the wrath of God beginning in verse 18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. He picks up, he picks up later on in verse um, 22, claiming the wise where they came fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images like mortal man and Birds and animals and creeping things. You heard people say, what's your sign? That's what that is. It's exactly what that is. It's nothing new. Avoid all of this. Why? Because of the sufficiency we have in Christ. Look at chapter, back to chapter 2, verse 8. Don't anybody take you captive. Don't anybody kidnap you with philosophy, empty deceit these human traditions, these elementary spirits of the world, here it is, and not according to Christ. The sufficiency of Christ. For in Him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him. You are complete in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Some have said this is the most blessed passages of all Scripture. The most definitive statement of Christ's deity. It is the rock upon which all uh, attributes and attempts to deprive Christ's deity is shattered. All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. This deity, not, not part of it, in the fullness of it, is not part of the deity. It's all of it dwells in Christ. It dwells, it's, it's settled down, it's at home in 
In fact, the words in the present tense is continually abiding. He always has been and always will be the fullness of God in His divine nature. He possesses all the fullness of deity. But it's not just a statement about who He is, but it's a statement about what He imparts to us. For He says in verse 9, For in Him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him. You've been made complete in Him. His fullness has been imparted to us. We have been made complete in Him because Christ is the fullness. We are filled by Him according to John 1 verse 16. And this present tense indicates that the results of that filling will be filled for all eternity. What do you mean? can't lose it. Because you didn't do it. He did it. Right? He did it. But you think because of the fall, you think of, of man before the fall, even our lives before conversion, how incomplete we were. Striving for things, not knowing what the world had offered. And some of you have great testimonies. The Lord saved you at later ages. And you, you've got a testimony of, 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 of a life incomplete and you're striving for everything that's out there and finding no fulfillment in it. But that's man, is it not? Man not only is totally incomplete, he's totally out of fellowship with God. We're morally incomplete. We don't know what right and wrong is anymore. In fact, we see today, Romans 1, being lived out, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools to the point we can't even define what a woman is anymore. I mean, I listen to their arguments and I want to say, are, are you actually listening to yourself? Do you actually believe what you're, what you're saying? You don't see the foolishness. But listen, they don't see the foolishness. This is how far man's mind has gone when you reject God and push Him out. This is what's left. That's right. And Satan is glad to fill it. And that not only morally we don't know what's right and wrong, mentally we don't, we don't know what the truth is anymore. right? But at salvation, we become, according to 2 Peter 1, we become partakers of His divine nature. Mm. we are made complete in Him. Spiritually, we now have fellowship with God. Morally, we recognize the authority of God's will upon our lives. And according to what Paul says here in verse 6, that's so that we walk in Him. We walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we've been called. And mentally, now we know the truth. We know real truth. We know ultimate reality. What MacArthur say? Understanding that when the search for the truth finds truth, the search is over. Right? So when you find Christ, the search is over. Right? It's over. For Christ we are complete. We have no need of teachings of cults or false teachers. But I ask the question, the title is, how complete is our completeness? He defines it for us in verse 11, doesn't he? For in Him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in a baptism in which you were raised with Him through faith in the powerful workings of God who raised Him from the dead. Let's stop there. Just as the Gentiles needed to learn 
that they were complete in Christ and had no need for philosophy and empty deceit or human traditions. They were complete in Him and they needed none other. The Jews also needed to learn that as well. It is not Christ plus circumcision. It's not Christ plus baptism. It's not Christ plus the Sabbath. It's not Christ by some diet, things that you can and cannot eat. It's Christ in Christ alone. I'm going to show you two things today. One, that our salvation in Christ is complete. Notice what he says there. In a circumcision, verse 11, in him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Let's talk about the circumcision in just a minute. No Jewish tradition or Jewish law was on the eighth day that the male child was circumcised. But what was that? Was it simply for hygiene? No, it was to be a sign that they belonged to the covenant nation, according to Genesis 17. Turn over to Romans 9, but the question is, okay, that's what that was, but do we need to go back to that? Do I need, do, do I need to have a... What was the circumcision? Turn back to Romans 9. Paul addresses this very issue in Romans 9. Or is it Romans 6? Which is it, Harry? Okay, I lost it. Romans 9, verse 6. That's not it. How about we go back to Romans 2? I will find it here. Romans chapter 2. Look at verse 25. For the circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes what? Uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will be condemned, will condemn you who have not the written code and the circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew is nearly one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. Remember, he's turning this. It's no longer a physical issue. But a Jew is one inwardly. A circumcision is a circumcision as a matter of the what? It's a matter of the heart. By the Spirit. Not by the letter. His praise is not for man, but from God. There's a greater circumcision. This circumcision, this outer demonstration that man was born sinful and needed cleansing. You ask the question, why circumcision? This is it. It's that outward demonstration that man was born sinful and needed cleansing. And the circumcision demonstrated that man needed cleansing at the deepest level of his being. No other sign was greater in the depth of sin than the part of man that produced life and all he could produce is what? Another sinner. That's all he could produce. But, even in the Old Testament, circumcision always showed man a need of the cleansing of the heart. Amen. Turn back to the couple of texts in the Old Testament. I hope I've written these down all right. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. 
I've been up since one, so I, I'm surprised I'm not speaking in tongues at this point. So, Deuteronomy 10. Okay. For those that are visiting, that was a joke. All right. Deuteronomy 10. Deuteronomy 10, verse um, 16. Circumcision, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. All I'm showing you is it's not circumcision, just an outward sign, not a physical one. But he's talking about a circumcision of the heart. Deuteronomy chapter 30. He also mentions the same thing in Deuteronomy 30. But I'll pick my reading up verse 5. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you might live. It's an issue of the heart. Even in the New Testament, Acts chapter 7, if you'll go with me to the New Testament, Acts chapter 7, we get reminded there as well. In Acts chapter 7, Verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in the heart and ears. You've resisted the Holy Spirit and your fathers did, and so do you. One more, I think I read it. Well, one more. Romans chapter 2, verse 29. I'm not sure I read that one. I did. Well, no one is a Jew, but who merely is one outwardly, but the circumcision outwardly and is not physical. We don't need to add circumcision to the list. We have a circumcision that was made without hands by the body of flesh. The sinful, fallen nature totally demonstrated, dominating from salvation. In other words, at salvation we were given a circumcision of the heart. Romans chapter, don't turn to this one, Romans 6 and verse 6, For you not know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the, the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we might be, would not no longer be slaves to sin? Or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm moving quickly, verse 17, Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Or even in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3, Paul to the church at Philippi. Romans, uh, Philippians 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, so, I, so Christ, first of all, He circumcised my heart. He, he gave me a new heart. Why do I still sin? Yeah, that was Paul's question in Romans 7, wasn't it? Turn over there. It's Romans 7. This is Paul's question here. Why, why do I do this? Okay, I can't read. 
I'm looking for Romans 7 and 1 Corinthians 7 and it's not there. Romans 7. Picking up in verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not, for I do, not do what I want, but I do the very things that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is, that it is good. So, no long, so now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not, I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I, what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, the sin that dwells within me. So I find to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Would we say amen to that? Amen. Yeah, we would, wouldn't we? Our new disposition desires to do good. We desire in our, in our heart. You have a transformed heart. You know the Lord. Your, your desire is, I want to live pleasing to the Lord. I want to live honoring to the Lord. I, I, I don't want to sin anymore. I'm tired of having to say to my wife, forgive me for what I just did. You, keep, you have those? New disposition wants to do good, wants to obey God, but it resides in this old flesh. This humanness. I'm incarcerated in this old flesh that has its own desires and its own will. And when it gets up in the morning, it's already got the direction it wants to go in. And when God cuts cross grain to that, we find out our nephesh goes into being vexed, being troubled, being cast down. But one day, one day, this old flesh will look like our new self on the inside, right? We'll be given new bodies. It goes along with this new heart that we have. In Romans 8, verse 23, And not only creation, but ourselves, we are the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemptions of our what? Of our bodies. Wow. Well, back to our text real quick. Not only are we dealing here with this, this issue of circumcision as it is in the, in the Scriptures of a circumcision of the heart, that it's not something we want to add. This is what ha- has happened to us. Our, our heart's been circumcised. But also he brings up baptism here. Verse 12, And having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also raised with him through faith, in the working, wonderful, powerful workings of God. This baptism is not a physical baptism any more than the physical circumcision that he mentioned in verse 11. This is a spiritual baptism. It's a baptism that picks our union with Christ. We're buried with Him according to 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13. Our baptism that we do merely pictures that reality. It's an, it's an outward sign of what's actually happened to us in Christ. All the spiritual transformation can only be achieved through faith in the workings of God. It's, but he says this is a powerful thing, he says. In the powerful workings of God. 
active power of God that raised Christ from the grave is the same power we find in Romans 10 verse 9. So Paul's saying, listen, you're complete in Christ. All, all the fullness of God dwells in Him and you, have, you don't need to add an outward circumcision to it because you already have a circumcision of a heart that's already taken place. You don't need to add baptism in the sense of something that, that, that has to be added from the sense of acceptance. We baptize because it's a picture of what's happened to us in Christ. But you don't need to add it in the sense of that, that we're incomplete without that. We don't need to all add the old things. The old tradition, the circumcision, the baptism, our salvation is complete in Christ, in Christ alone. But secondly, not only is our salvation complete, our, our forgiveness is complete. Look at verse 13. And you, who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven all our trespasses. What's the words you need to underline in there? Uh, dead. What's dead mean? Yeah. As a hammer. I don't know who came up with that, but I guess a hammer's dead. But it's dead. Dead people don't do what? They don't live. They don't respond to stimuli. Right? They don't have faith. They don't have anything. They're dead. Okay. When my father died, we didn't ask him what he wanted for his funeral. Why? Because he was dead. He couldn't respond. He's, he's dead. Well, we're, we're dead according to this text. We're dead in our trespasses. God made us alive, having forgiven. Next word I want you to underline is all. And said, how many, of your, how, much, how many of your sins were future when Christ died on the cross? All of them. All of them. All. And then he did that by verse 14, by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Listen, listen folks, if you, if you deal with this, I hear people say, I, I've got to learn to forgive myself. In, in, in some way, I understand what you're saying. There's an element of that that... I mean, if you really hurt somebody, and I'm not talking about verbally, let's say with a car. I knew a guy up in the mountains, worked at a Christian camp, and on Halloween, he was going towards Spruce Pine. And rounded a curve, and a seven-year-old little girl ran across in front of him and killed her. And he told me years later, he said, "I'm having problems forgiving myself." And he said, "I know what that means. I know the Lord. I know there was nothing I could do about it. what goes through my mind. Is could I have done something? Could I have something? I'm saying there's a, there's an issue that that can be true. Listen, it's not about the issue about you forgiving yourself. It's about God's forgiveness that we have in Him that is absolutely." Complete. It's complete. Our forgiveness is complete. It forgives us all our trespasses. Why? Because look at our condition here, first of all. We're, we're dead. We're a corpse. As unbelievers, we exist in the arena of spiritual death. 
devoid of any sense, devoid of any ability to respond, unable to respond to God, uncircumcised in the flesh. In other words, outside the covenant, if you want to put it that way, according to Ephesians 2 that Bob read for us in verses 11 and 12. We're a spiritual corpse, unable to respond outside the covenant. Now, I know people talk about Revelation, Lo, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone will open the door. I'll come in and sup with him, him with me. That's great. That is a great verse. As long as you've got a corpse on the other side of the door. Dead man can't answer the door. Why? Because he's dead. What has to happen first? God's got to raise him from the dead. Okay? But we find in Ephesians 2 verse 4, don't we? But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ because by grace you have been saved. We've been made alive. We've been brought to life. We've been given life. We were hopeless. We were dead in our sins. We were unable to respond and He made us alive. Or let me go back and say, you are hopelessly. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are unable to respond. You need God to make you alive. We find here that God initiates this salvation process, doesn't He? You no more have the power to give yourself spiritual life than a corpse does to give himself spirit physical life. You can't do it. You're dead. But we find that we're in Him. How does He give us that life? By forgiving us all of our trespasses. Psalm 130, you can just put it in your notes. Psalm 130. Verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Or in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul there reminds us that in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Or, how about the book of Hebrews in Hebrews 8 and verse 12, for I will have mercy towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins. How? No more. That's the kind of forgiveness that the Lord has. And we find that He forgives all of them. But we find here that God's forgiveness is not earned. It's a gift. Romans 3.24, even Titus chapter 3, it's not earned. It's a gift. This, this, this forgiving us is, is a gift. It's complete according to Romans 5 and verse 20. Romans 5 and verse 20. Paul there reminds us... <clears throat> Now the law came into the increase, the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. It's complete. 
It's, it's a forgiveness that's ready and eager. Hey, Pastor, would, would the Lord save me today if I called upon His name? Absolutely. He's ready to forgive. He's eager to forgive. And it's something not only is it not earned in the gift, not only is it complete, not only is it He's ready, is He eager to forgive, it's certain you can, you can count on it. God doesn't break His promises. He promised to forgive us all of our sins. Yes. Well, Pastor, I, you know, I, I can't see how the Lord could forgive me of this. Are, are, you, are you calling God a liar? You are. You may not mean to. But that's what you're accusing God of. That Lord, you said you forgive me all my trespasses, but there's no way you can forgive me of this. Either you don't understand His forgiveness or you are calling Him a liar. Not a liar, is he? No. Right? He'll forgive you all of your trespasses. And there's no such forgiveness unique, unequal. This forgiveness is is un- Micah chapter seven verse eight. Who is the Lord like? Who is God like thee, who pardoned the iniquity, and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his passion? So this this forgiveness that we find as we trace it's a it's a it's, a, it's not earned, it's a gift. It's absolutely complete. He's ready and eager. He's, it's certain. There's no other such forgiveness available. It's only by the Lord God. And we find according to Ephesians 4, it's an example that's motivating of us. If God has forgiven us our trespasses, what are we to do? Forgive others their trespasses. Back, turn to Matthew chapter 18. You know this story. To me, this is often a convicting one. You ever, you ever read text of Scripture and it immediately you think of something you've done that's contrary to that? You ever done that? A few weeks ago, I told you about some dear sweet lady in Greensboro that decided she wanted to key my car. And I said, may the fleas of a thousand camels invade your armpits. I didn't say it publicly, I said it to you. But you know what, when I read this text, you know what came to mind? That exact thing. Are you willing to forgive her? Verse 23. Matthew 18. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle the accounts of his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his master, he ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and the payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees and implored him, Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of the pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. What he owed him, that 10,000 talents, was unfathomable. Unfathomable what he owed. Verse 28. When the same servant went out and found the fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, that's pennies, seized him, began to choke him, say, pay, you, pay what you owe, his fellow servants fell and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he could pay his debts. When his fellow servants saw that he had taken place, he 
was greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. His master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debts because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debts. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. I don't like that last three words. <laughs> I'd rather just say it. Or I'd rather just say you don't owe me the money. To forgive them from the heart. Forgiveness, our forgiveness is to be modeled after the Lord's forgiveness. And He says He will forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He won't hold His sins against us. He will remember them no more. He will throw them as far as the east is from the west. That's not in a circle, but in a straight line. But right now, we're talking about this. You're probably thinking of things. I know somebody right now that you're talking about. Why are you talking about that? Because I've never forgiven them. If you don't give your brothers your trespasses, neither will your Heavenly Father in Heaven forgive you your trespasses. I don't know about you, but I need the Lord's forgiveness every day. Right? Back to our text. How did he do this? Did he, did he just say, okay, you're forgiven? No. Verse 14. How did he do this forgiveness? By canceling the record of the debt that stood against the stop there. The canceling, the blotting out, the erasing, the to obliterate is what the word means. And the record of the debt is a certificate of debt. It is what we would call an IOU. It's something that you've written down, I owe Alan $500 and I sign it. It's got my name on it. This is, this is the record of my debt to him. That's it. Something written by hand and autographed and signatured on it. It's a certificate of indebtedness handwritten by the debtor in acknowledge of his debt. As I said, it's an IOU. It's a signed confession of debt to the Lord. I've sinned. Now sign it. And God, those confessions of your debt, God piles them up. We owe God this debt. We have to pay. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The debt is against us. It's something that we owe. It will destroy us. It will condemn us. We have no ability to pay it. But not only the debt, but it says, but it's legal demands. It's what you're owed for not paying your debt. The law of God not only states our guilt, 
but it also cries out for the penalty dues for the guilt that's due. See, the law is the prosecuting attorney, it's the judge, it's the jury, it's even the executioner. Turn with me Galatians 3, just a minute. Galatians 3, verse 10 and 11. For all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now this is the evidence that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. What does he do to this debt, this stacked up signs, uh, signed IOUs to God? What does he do them? He cancels them. He wipes them out. They're rubbed out. They're stamped as payment made. How? He set it aside by nailing it to the cross. Not a trace of it remains. Yes, the Lord, do I owe you this debt? What debt? I paid it for you. And the perfect tense there is permanence of removal can never be put back. It's gone forever. In His atonement, Christ canceled the debt I and you owed. His death covered and erased all my trespasses, past, present, and future by nailing it to the cross. That IOU has been decisively removed and has no power over me any longer because it's been paid by Christ. You think of that. Think of all your sins. You want to stack up that sheet of paper? And Christ says, in me, they're nailed to the cross and they're remembered no more. They're, they're over. They're gone. Christ took upon Himself the penalty that we were under because of our disobedience and His death fully satisfied God's necessary demands for the due punishment of that disobedience. J.B. Phillips, his translation of this verse, he says, I have, He has forgiven you all your sins. Christ has utterly wiped out all the damning evidence of the broken laws and commandments which always hangs over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it over His head on the cross. Good way to put it. One commentary is reading tells this story. Martin Luther experienced the reality of this truth in a dream in which he was visited one night by Satan who brought him the record of his own life written with his own hand. The tempter said to him, Is that true? Did you write that? The poor terrified Luther had to confess, It's all true. Scroll after scroll after scroll was unrolled. before I finish that. You know, it's easy to think of our sin on one piece of paper, right? But that's not it, is it? 
it would fill volumes. Scroll after scroll after scroll was unrolled and the same confession run from him again and again. And at length the evil one prepared to take his departure having brought Luther down to the lowest depths of misery. But suddenly the reformer turned to the tempter and said, It is true, every word of it, but right across it all, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses me from all my sins. The Colossians were complete. They were whole because they had been released from the bondage of guilt. There, was, there is no tyranny like the, the, the guilt, the tyranny of guilt. And having it lifted is wonderful. It's like escaping the pull of, the, of gravity. You know, you, you feel so light and buoyant, he said. This is why the Colossians were full. This is why they needed nothing else. If that's true... And it is true, right? It's true. This is what it says. He canceled my... He took upon me. He, he canceled my debt by nailing it to the truth. If that's true, then why do I add to it? Is He not sufficient alone? Yes. Is He not sufficient alone? Why add anything to Christ? It is Christ and Christ alone and only Christ. Yes. But as we said, as we begin verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses. I hope you can rejoice in that. Do you have, do, Pastor, do you have to understand all that to be saved? Oh, I hope not. Right? Spend the rest of your life learning the Scriptures, don't you? Yes. Learning theology and what the Lord did to you. And, wow, right. You have to understand it all. There has to be a time and place in which the Lord's done that work. And you're either were or are. You were dead or you are dead. And the only way you'll hear me today is if the Holy Spirit does a work in your heart that only He can do. That's right. and I often pray that He'll turn the light on. Are you still in your sin? Because you've never bowed the knee to Christ and sought to know Him and Him alone? You called out to the Lord to save you? You can do that today. Remember I said He's eager. He's ready to cancel your debt. And you can leave today with the assurance of your sins forgiven and your sins nailed to the cross before you leave today I invite you to do that if you have questions about it I'd love to talk to you Harry and Alan Melody and Jonathan Bob many others around here that would love to talk to you if you're unsure about your salvation don't leave today until you know that because if not all that debt's on you And you are guilty like the rest of mankind. Father, we we thank you for what we 
we rejoice in and yet struggle to understand. Because, Lord, we, we can get our head around a debt we owe on our house and somebody comes in and pays it off. I can get my head around that. But what about the debt I owe you? Sin upon sin upon sin upon sin. Volume upon volume upon volume. And in Christ, all that's gone. That you nailed it to the cross. And I can rejoice in that. And that's enough. I don't need to add philosophy and schemes and cynicism and mysticism and voices of angels and liver quivers and all of those things. We don't need to add any of that to Christ. He's sufficient. We also don't need to go back in the Old Testament and gather forth circumcision and those types of things that are are legalistic to say Christ won't forgive you of all unless you do these things. No. For in Him we have our forgiveness is in Him. In Him alone. Lord, if there are some here, and I know there are, that do not know You as Lord and Savior and treasure of their life, open their eyes that they may see that they're still in their sin. And that Christ is eager and ready to forgive them all their trespasses. If they'll cry out to Him, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works. I've seen Him mention those. Pastor Willie, will the Lord answer me if I call? He promised He would. So Lord, right now I pray that there will be some that will cry out to You. Lord, I don't understand it all, but Lord, You have opened my mind, eyes today convicted my heart and I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me my sin. I want Christ. I need Christ. Father, for us as believers, I pray we never wander too far from that. That we understand our position in Christ is because of what Christ has done for us. And that we're in Him. And yes, we're, all, we're incarcerated in this old flesh. But Father, we look forward to the day that this new self is matched up with its new body. And we'll be like you. When we see you, we'll be like him. Father, as we sing this last hymn, a debtor to mercy. I pray that would be a testimony of our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hymn number...